This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, super excited to be talking with Todd Ramasar. He is the founder and the CEO of Life Sports Agency. It's a global sports media and tech company geared toward maximizing client performance, brand value, all the rest of it. It's a perfect time to be talking to him. He works closely with a lot of NBA players. And we were just talking a a little bit, Todd, before we came on about how the NBA, they have managed to become a year-round story. Lots of people looking at the summer league that just wrapped up. Of course, the draft. What do you make of, of this time of year? What's your life like right now, You know, just trying to sort of pull all these threads together? Well, for, first of all, uh, gentlemen, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And um, you know what? I tell you, it's good to be back because um, – I'd like to think that this is a normal off season, but with all the circumstances that all of us have been dealing with with the pandemic, it was just great to be back, um, not just as it relates to free agency, but also just being back um, at the you know the NBA summer league uh, that just concluded yesterday, and uh, you know just seeing um, some familiar faces and just being back in that normal cycle and routine. It's uh, it's great, and then um, of course, um, still being in free agency. Now we're about going on week three, or going into week three of free agency. We've seen some interesting signings, and seeing how teams are just preparing for this upcoming season, which will be back on a normal track of you know uh, 82 regular season games and playoffs, and the calendar itself, the NBA calendar is back to normal. Uh, because as we go back in last off season with the bubble, and then obviously a shortened off season, and then a shortened regular season, um, it, it's just good to see things back into a normal flow. The NBA draft just completed a few weeks ago. Uh, Pistons got the number one draft. Cade Cunningham. I can go on down the line. Uh, that has turned into a huge media event which years ago, in 19 dirt, you never heard of that back then. But now it, it is must-see TV, especially if you're an NBA fan. A hundred percent. I think a, a lot of that is, is, you know, this is my, you know, 20th plus year in this industry. I started when I was 19. And um, I tell you the the evolution of this business to to that point is like, I attribute a lot of it to uh, to social media and just the news cycle in, in overall in sports. So, you know, the NBA draft, everyone's tuning in, and it's this uh, big event and spectacle that, you know, that I think the NBA has done a tremendous job of marketing and branding. And, you know, for a fan, you know, for your fan base and, and people that, you know, follow their teams in the NBA, they want to tune in because they may be seeing their team land the next uh, superstar face of the NBA. Um, and I think uh, that event is going to just continue to grow, um, you know, um, over the next few years, especially as uh, the game of basketball and the NBA grows globally. Uh, you know, it's not just, you know, North American fans that are tuning in. You have fans that are, are tuning in in, uh, in markets globally as well as, 
you know, streaming the event so that they could see it. And if they're not watching it live, just based on social media and, and how that news is being disseminated, uh, they're, they're, they're getting excited about who these uh, players are, both, you know, domestic players as well as international players that are being drafted. Hey, Todd, it's Mike Lynch up in, in Boston. Um, with two truncated seasons behind us now, did the players mm-hmm. who were free agents on this market this summer receive fair market value, do you think? I think so. I, I thought we saw some uh, some good signings. Um, I think um, if, if we look at all of uh, the most recent uh, free agency and, and markets, like the players that, you know, produced in their contract year, and, and depending on what, in some ways, the market uh, dictated, um, you saw at least this. Um, you saw this off season that free agents were getting paid their fair market value. Um, so I, I didn't see any surprises. Um, I didn't see any surprises whatsoever. It, we may have read about some players. Uh, I won't name any that you know may may have received. Um, contracts lower than maybe anticipated and there was less than a handful but that was maybe because they timed the market uh wrong yeah uh and they may have had opportunities in the past to sign contract extensions at what i think were their fair market value but you know sometimes uh when you're when you're trying to time the marketplace in your favor sometimes it works against you and and we saw that this year um, so I, I don't think it was a matter of teams, or, or excuse me, players receiving less than their uh, market value, opposed to maybe them timing uh, the market improperly. So Todd, talk to us about kind of weaving together so many different elements in the NBA. You have player empowerment, which takes on obviously some social activism, but also for lack of better terms, sort of economic activism in many ways. And and the NBA gets written about and talked about a lot as, you know, a very player-driven league in, in many ways. What are sort of, in your estimation, sort of the upsides and the downsides of that? Because it is a little bit different, and and you do have some, some old-timers, as it were, saying, well, it's just about the players, it's not about the teams anymore, and these super teams being created, et cetera. Like, as you sort of distill all that down, as someone who is representing players, what do you make of it? I think the league is evolving with uh, their demographic of players, you know, and it's not just the league as a whole. It's also society, you know. For me as an agent, as I mentioned, I've been in the business now over two decades. You know, I started as a teenager in this business, and my perspective was probably was was uh, was really player centric because these were my peers. As I've gotten older and I've continued to guide my clients, um, my experience has obviously changed and evolved. But my lens is all, always staying in tune with what that demographic wants, right? Or 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 how they're viewing the world. So uh, for me, I, I think you know people are always going to have their opinions. Uh, I have my opinions that at times uh, maybe isn't completely aligned with, uh, you know, maybe is an old school way of uh, thinking, or I say a traditional way of thinking, but I think you have to change and adapt with the times. And if you don't, then you get left behind because, as you mentioned, old timers, uh, you know, old timers at some point become irrelevant. We all do. 
Right. And it's always the next generation behind us that is dictating the future. And that's where I commend the NBA. It's like, you know, um, uh, they're progressive. Um, they're forward thinking. Uh, in the moment, we may not agree with it, or, or let's just, what I say we is, you know, um, people may have their opinions that is not aligned with that, but I think Adam Silver has done a tremendous job of, of leading the NBA and its owners, and, you know, I think that's proof in, in terms of um, that they're doing a good job in terms of the growth of the game, and again, not just here in the U.S., but globally. Yeah. So I, I want to press you on that point again, if I can, a, a little bit, because I feel like we're getting to something really interesting here, which is this notion of, you know, you played the game in college. You know, you can speak to these players maybe in a different way than agents of your could in, in many ways. You think about all the press and that we've spent some time on this show and I've spent some time talking to, to Rich Paul and sort of his perspective. I mean, you guys sort of collectively are, are bringing a different attitude a different perspective that seems to have a, a, an effect on on this broader both empowerment and, and sort of seizing control i would argue in a very good way um you know and, and sort of shifting the balance of power do you agree i i i do um you know i i like to think i'm a very good listener i think as i've gotten again more experience in this business is better to listen than to to share my thoughts initially i i do a i i'm very intentional about listening to my clients and their perspectives and how they view the world and you know unlike maybe 20 years or prior to that like you know again this generation what I find, they, they want to be socially active. They want to use their platform uh, to give their, their thoughts and opinions on social issues, um, uh, humanitarian uh, as well, and, um, and, and that's them. That's, that's their voice. And I don't think it's just in sports. I think it's across the gamut. And, you know, we've seen it in entertainment probably for some time. I think sports is following suit especially as sports becomes that much more synonymous with entertainment. And I, I don't, I don't see that changing. I think as uh, again, um, you know, for an older demographic or in even mine, it's like growing up watching the Michael Jordans um, of the world and, and other star athletes, they may not have uh, been so out, uh, you know, maybe outspoken or give their thoughts on, on some of these issues, but Again, with social media and these platforms and um, and all these world events that have impacted this generation that's coming to age, that's that's what they want to speak to. And some people agree with it, and some people don't. You know, my 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 role as an agent and a mentor and an advisor and a fiduciary and a number of other hats I wear is to guide my clients, advise them properly, but at the end of the day, support them and the impact that they want to make uh, with their lives, both on and off the court, you know, whether it be their families or communities. Speaking of old school geezer, that's me. I'm going to go back even farther <laughs> than Michael Jordan. Can you imagine if Lou Alcindor had Twitter or if Dave Bing had Twitter yeah. back in the day? Compared to now, it's it, it, is it a different mindset today than what it was back in the day of like a Dave Bing or a Ren Auerbach? Um, that's a great question. I think things go in cycles too, uh, Mike. It's um, 
it's one of those things that, you, to your point, like Luau Cinder or or Muhammad Ali, if uh, you know, um, you know, some of these great uh, athletes and, and and social activists, like if they had those platforms. They may have been uh, they may have been more outspoken on those platforms and be maybe more broadly accepted. Also, when you think about um, the business of sports, you know how many opportunities did those uh, great athletes and men and, and 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 women lose in corporate America, right? In terms of sponsorship or other opportunities, because those ideas weren't so widely accepted. I think now uh, some of those brands and you see cause marketing and some of their social initiatives, knowing that the broader demographic is changing and they want to have social impact um, and not just athletes, I'm talking about consumers and fans. Yeah. They're, uh, they're a lot more accepting of athletes having uh, their opinions on social injustices or, or philanthropic initiatives and things of such, so it's more broadly accepted. So um, those, you know, the Luau Cinders of the world, uh, you know, the Muhammad Ali's of the world, those were the, uh, I guess you could say, the trailblazers for this that this generation may look back to, but it's something that's constantly evolving. Uh, who knows what the next uh, few decades dictates and uh, and how that may uh, be impacted even further from again world events and different trends. Hey Todd, um, this is something a discussion I have with a lot of the agents we have on this show, um, and I'm involved with it at the high school level in Massachusetts. Financial literacy, um, mm-hmm. it's an issue. Uh, it's a challenge. Uh, sometimes it's a roadblock. Where do we need it? Do we need it in high school? Do we need it in colleges? Do we need it with every representative of every player in every sport? And is it a real hard issue to deal with? Um, it's not a hard issue if there's a right approach. Um, and and to, I guess to, to answer your question more direct, it should start as young as possible. And, and it's and it's and it's a in some ways a complex issue in my opinion. Being African American, it's like. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have parents that are entrepreneurs and uh, had success in business. So certain conversations, maybe at the dinner table or even, um, you know, maybe even some of the things that I've learned through osmosis of just being in the environment, uh, you know, it's led me to be an entrepreneur myself. That We can't say that that's the case for, for every demographic, Right. So the big part of my role uh, that I found success with my clients is explaining the why. I always say that to my guys is always ask why, like, why am I advising this or 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 as it relates to financial literacy, like how or why do things work this way? I think the sooner that we're able to educate, um, you know, um, you know, athletes or entertainers or uh, individuals that are going to be high income earners at a very young age that don't have, you know, that background in finance or, or, um, or, or financial literacy, the younger that we could get to them and educate them, I think the more empowered they're going to be in the future once they come into, um, you know, come into, uh, you know, uh, you know, that, that high income that they're earning year over year. 
because uh, what I find is if that foundation isn't laid uh, or, or early, uh, once once you know they're starting to see those checks that are in six figures or seven or eight figures, you know every two weeks or every month for a, a long period of time, and there's not an understanding of the tax implications and just other things, it becomes much harder for them to understand those concepts in the future. And well, it's not because for a lack of intellect, yeah. it's just a lack of, uh, of maybe knowledge or someone uh, taking the time to explain uh, things to them early on. Well, and Todd, it, it, it's so interesting to, to hear you say that and about the complexity and everything because we've been we've been speaking a lot of late on this show, and I'm sure you have with your uh, clients as well, and you've been thinking about it a lot as well, especially as a former college athlete, about NIL and, and the rules there and how much that has changed immediately the the economics of all of this how do you figure that in especially with that lens that you have as someone who went through that process of of being a college athlete with the former rules and now um kind of weaving that into your business um i think it's great that nil is uh is now available to high school athletes student athletes and, and collegiate student athletes uh, as a former student athlete, um, I think um, it, it, I think it's a, it's a, a long time uh, coming and long overdue. I do have some concerns when things are introduced so quickly because mm-hmm. there may, you know, I think I, I try to put myself in my 18-year-old self and not just what I, you know, what I experienced, but also what I observed from teammates that are still close friends and and what they came through based on their backgrounds is. I guess my concern is, you know, for any 18-year-old, as you're a high-income earner, um, is the responsibility that comes along with that. I tell you guys, my best time of my life was college, you know, my college experience at UCLA. And it wasn't just the academics or the relationships, it's it's the social aspect as well. I think a lot of us could speak to that, right? And when you're when you when you don't have much, you make the most out of circumstances, I could only imagine if I had access to ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, or a million dollars as an eighteen-year-old on campus or even in high school. That's where these individuals need to have a strong uh, circle or family background or foundation to again educate them and, in some ways, protect them from themselves because. You don't know what you don't know when you're young. And, um, you know, uh, again, when these are all 1099 income earners, not W-2, are they going to understand the tax implications that come along with those earnings? Um, Also, if you're an international student-athlete, you do not have the ability to earn in the U.S. because you are on a student visa opposed to a work visa. Um, so, like, just making sure that these student athletes and their families and uh, and their circle are educated, um, I, I think, is going to be crucial in the, uh, not just the success of uh, the NIL impl- uh, implementation, but also making sure that it continues to grow over time. Those opportunities, and there's no, uh, I guess, you could say, negative outcomes that come about that people point to, say, NIL being uh, the reasons for a potential fallout. The NFL has adopted a rule 
according to the league, that if a team has to forfeit a game because of a COVID outbreak, uh, not only will the team forfeiting lose a paycheck, but also the team that was they were supposed to show up and play will lose a paycheck. I could see that being even more of a problem in the NBA because you're only fielding so many guys. Uh, first of all, is what the NFL doing, is it fair? And two, could we see something like that in the NBA? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a matter of it being fair or not is, is relative to the policies and procedures in place that are governing the overall health and safety of not just the athletes in, say, the NFL or the NBA, but are protecting uh, the health and safety of all the personnel involved as well. I, I do believe in freedom of choice. Um, obviously, it's 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 one's prerogative to to uh, be vaccinated or choose not to be vaccinated. But at the end of the day, if there's a policy in place, hypothetically, where uh, you know all the athletes and personnel are vaccinated, and uh, someone um, someone contracts uh, COVID. And now it impacts the whole roster in which a game is suspended. Then, no, I don't think it's fair that their salaries are being impacted, right? Because that's no different than everyone coming down with the flu and they can't participate in that activity, right? Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Now, if there's uh, freedom of choice and, and the policies um, are allowing that, then they they need to be there need to be certain policies in place that protect both vaccinated and unvaccinated personnel, both players and team personnel, so that it doesn't lead to those outcomes that could then impact that personnel, uh, including players financially. Todd, why does it appear that the Players Association and the NBA has the best relationship uh, with labor relationship, best relationship with the owners and the commissioner, as opposed to all the other major sports. Why do you think that is? Why? And I just want to make sure I understand your question as it relates yeah. to the NBA specifically between, well, I mean, say, the league I mean, and the union. There always seems to be a rift or a chasm between the baseball players and the commissioner's office, football players Mm -hmm. and Roger Goodell. The relationship between Adam Silver and going back to David Stern with the players seems to be the tightest relationship uh, business-wise, labor-wise, and even uh, friendship-wise. Why do you think that is? Yeah. I think it's it's a number of things. That that is, uh, to Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts' credit, as both the leaders of the union and the league, uh, also, we touched on it earlier. It, the, the NBA is a, a player-centric league that understands that I, I think their players' happiness and, and success uh, leads to the overall growth of the NBA. Um, and, you know, in times like this, when there's an act of God like a pandemic, you need a strong relationship to come up with solutions. Because the reality is, like in most uh, labor negotiations, you have agents and players on one side, you know, the league office and owners on another side, and sometimes it could get contentious in terms of uh, that negotiation. In times like, th- but but even when it gets contentious, if you're looking in the same direction, 
again, you could have outcomes that are beneficial to both sides, and that's the outcome I would I would hope that any league or business would want. In the NBA's case, is having that strong relationship and that dialogue that's that's constant. And Adam has been, you know, in the league office has been open to, you know, conversations with players individually. Um, you know, I've taken my clients up. Uh, to the league office to meet with, um, you know, with Adam and some of the other senior executives there. And it's been great in terms of the support, not just in terms of their play on the court, but their, again, their social initiatives and things that, uh, you know, resonate with uh, the player or players as a whole. So I, I think it's just the outreach. It's the, it's the constant communication and dialogue. And then it just comes down to leadership at the top on both sides. You know, the fact that Michelle and Adam have a great relationship when it comes to those tough decisions that have to be made, whether, again, it's acts of God's or, or acts of God or, or, or other policies, it, they're, they're able to come, you know, uh, find a solution or an outcome that, that both sides are happy with. All right, Todd, before we let you go, just one last question. As, as you think about um, this upcoming season, you know, you've got an all-star in, in your midst. You've got a top draft pick uh, in your midst. What's the biggest challenge business-wise for the NBA as we get into what should be, hopefully, we think the most normal season we've seen in a while? What's on your mind from a businessman's perspective? You know, all, if, if all things being normal, uh, when I say um, normal, not dealing with the pandemic, right. I think everything is great. The fact of the matter is we're in a pandemic still. I like to think, you know, we're towards the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we educate ourselves on these pandemics. They say two years and, and typically we're out of it, even with variants like the Delta variant we're dealing with now. But when you're dealing with so- something that major, that's very fluid, that in some cases are out of um, out of our control, and when I say our, not me as an agent or my clients, but the league or society as a whole, it's like you're dealing with curveballs being thrown at you left and right. And you know, right now, you know, as, as we went into spring, it's like we're very optimistic. Things are opening up, economy is 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 moving back in the right direct direction, and then we're hit with the Delta variant, right? And we're seeing um, infection rates increase. Um, obviously, we're promoting vaccinations. Now they're talking about uh, a booster shot. Like My point being is when it's evolving like that, uh, the toughest challenge is in some ways you gotta you gotta just trust the other side, or you gotta tr- you gotta work as a as a unit. It's not mm-hmm. players in the union on one side, the league on another side. It's you know, you got to deal with matters as a collective to make sure, again, that you're having the outcomes that are beneficial to both sides. And that's the challenge uh, going into this season is what is the winter going to bring? What is travel going to bring as we, you know, travel back? You know, we're dealing with, in some cases, two jurisdictions in the NBA. We, we, we still have a team in, in Canada. Yeah. And their laws and their approach is much different than it was here in the U.S. I, I felt it personally in uh, working with one of my clients that plays for the Raptors in, in terms of that being the case uh, or that being the case. And it's not so simple. I think a lot of times maybe fans or spectators 
are seeing the league as just like, oh, you're, it's entertainment, it's basketball. But when you're dealing with laws and immigration and visa issues and a number of different you know, factors uh, that are impacting uh, the games or travel or, or even in the case of the Raptors where they had to relocate to Tampa and right. you're uprooting families, not of just the players, but of personnel where every home game is an away game. You saw how that impacted the Raptors, right? For example, that's a team that's accustomed to winning 50-plus games and being in the playoffs, not being in the playoffs. Um, so just we try to uh, deal with it as best as we can, uh, trusting leadership and, uh, and just working together as a unit so that we have a, um, a successful season that's coming up, or you hope to have a successful season that's not going to be interrupted or impacted where you have to cancel or reschedule games, and um, and then you just continue uh, moving forward so that, you know, overall from an economic standpoint that it's a healthy season and you just can continue building as we um, hopefully um, put the pandemic behind us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to your point, I mean, you even think about the different, you know, laws and regulations in Los Angeles versus Dallas versus Atlanta versus New York. I mean, you know, all that comes into play uh, as well. Well, really, really good to get some time with you. Thank you so much, Todd Ramasar. He is the founder and CEO of Life Sports Agency based out in Los Angeles. But if we know anything about this business, he's always on the move. So really good uh, to catch up with you. And here's to a very successful uh, upcoming season and uh, continued good luck with your business. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. And it's uh, I hope to do it again sometime soon. And uh, all the best to all of you. Todd, thank you, sir. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Thank you, Todd. I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCBB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Find me at Jason Kelly News. We're here with you each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday talking about the world of money and sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.